Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 32 and following. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. When they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Grab your Bibles, if you would. Turn to Luke 23. We're going to be looking at this passage, Luke 23. I have been told uh, a little bit earlier that there are three types of people. There are those who can count and those who can't. I was also told earlier today not to use that joke. (laughs) We are... going to focus today on the very real reality that there are two types of people in this world. There are two paths that we can take. There are two choices that are put before us. And that is what we are looking at when we look at this text here before us today. Let's pray together. Lord, as always, we need your presence with us when we tackle Your Word. Lord, we know that as You have written it for us, so You will speak it powerfully into our hearts and into our minds. For Lord, we desire to be different because of the Word that You have communicated to us today. We pray and we ask this in Your Son's name. Amen. We come to the absolute high point The absolute high point of Jesus' ministry. His birth, incredibly important. His life, essential for the way in which we understand His faith. But even Jesus Himself had oriented everything in His life towards the cross. He is pointing towards the cross that He is going to His upcoming death. He orients Himself that way. All the Gospels orient us in that way. Over 40% of the Gospels speak of Jesus' last week upon this earth. Everything orients us and drives us towards the cross so that when you get to that momentous moment, the Scriptures, with great detail, say this, and they crucified Him. That's it. You get to this big high moment, and if you know your theology, if you know your walk with the Lord, you know that this really truly is that moment of salvation, the crucifixion of our Lord. And the text 
breezes over it simply by saying, and they crucified him. Now some of that, I think, is because the biblical writers don't want you to focus on the crucifixion in terms of Jesus' physical death. They don't tell you where they put the nails. They don't tell you how they dropped the cross into the hole. They don't tell you of the agony of the person who was crucified because they are focused not upon Christ's physical sufferings, but upon His spiritual sufferings. And so, you've got this central concept, this central point in the Scriptures that get discussed in the Bible by this line, and so they crucified Him. Which causes me then to ask the question, why does the Bible take so much time? Why does the Holy Spirit, who wrote the Scriptures for us, why does He spend so much time talking about these two criminals? Okay, there were two other guys that were crucified with Jesus, but they get more play, they get more attention than the actual act of crucifixion. Well, perhaps part of it is because people knew all about crucifixion. And in Jesus' time, in Luke's audience, if you said, and they crucified him, you didn't have to go into details, because they knew what it was. Maybe it's also because the authors don't want distracted from that spiritual work of Jesus, where too much attention is focused upon his physical sufferings. But I think some of it is simply because the Holy Spirit desires for us, here God desires, as we're looking at this text, right at the very end of Jesus' life, that once again we are confronted with the two inescapable paths that confront every single person in this world. There are two choices Two options that are made available here. And the thieves, the criminals, they demonstrate that perfectly. If you're like me, when I hear somebody say, okay, you've got two options, even before I know what the options are, I'm trying to figure out a third. Like I'm just, two is just, I live in the world of, of, I live in this great big society that magnifies the idea of choice and the multiple choices that I have in every option. Nobody's going to limit me just to two choices. And you kind of get offended. And there's a whole lot of people then that want to try to move about and think about how do we get to more than just two choices. In this instance, brothers and sisters, the Scriptures are crystal clear that there are two choices. Over and over again, the Bible talks about our calling to choose life Or choose death. You are a friend of God or you are an enemy of God. You are a child of God or you are a child of Satan. There are not a whole lot of choices that are put forward. Most of us want to say, oh, we're just somewhere in the middle. We're kind of neutral. I'm kind of working it out with God or I'm moving in one direction or another. I'm getting closer to God. There is No such category according to the Scriptures. We either are following after Jesus Christ or we are not. And this is a wonderful passage of Scripture that reinforces that fundamental biblical theme over and over again. 
and the hope that so many of us have that there's some middle ground, some comfortable area in the middle just doesn't exist. Before we talk, though, about how the two criminals set up two different paths, you should notice how the two criminals set up, the, how, how similar the two criminals are. Notice what they are. They're, by the way, they're referred to as thieves in uh, Matthew and in Mark and in Luke here. They're referred to as criminals. Same idea across the board. We tend to think of thieves not as having the kind of the, the viciousness or the, the guilt that a criminal does. So this is kind of an identification. Why does Jesus identify himself with criminals? Well, I think in part to fulfill that prophecy from Isaiah that he would be numbered among the transgressors. He would be linked with the transgressors. Jesus is crucified. If they just crucified Jesus by himself, there's a possibility that all of us would think that this was just something unique going on to this man, Jesus. Instead, they crucified him with two criminals so that he might be identified with criminals. That means that every time you identify yourself with Jesus, you are identifying with criminals. You are confessing that we too are criminals in His sight. It's all too often to think of myself as a sinner. But that being a sinner in God's eyes makes me a criminal. And having the two criminals crucified with Jesus just emphasizes that understanding, that linking, that joining of myself with Christ who died for my sin. So what's same about these two criminals? Look at what's common to the two of them. And you can see this all the way through this text. The first one is that both of them are guilty, guilty, guilty. They confess that. The one confesses that right after the other. Says, hey, don't pick on Jesus because we are guilty for the crimes that we are being judged for. We here bear the guilt and therefore we must bear the punishment that associates with that guilt. These two men are not innocent people that are being crucified next to Jesus. These two are guilty for all things set apart for Jesus. They are sinners from the beginning to the end. But that's not all. They also are suffering. And they are suffering in an immense way. If you're familiar at all with the process of crucifixion, it is a vicious, horrific way to die. And these two men, no matter what their guilt, are being sinned against in a terrible way by the Roman government. When they crucify these two men, they are taking criminals who are guilty of their sin and they are adding the victimization to these two men. These two men being victims then of the brutality of the Roman government. They're guilty. They're criminals. Both of them together have mocked Jesus. That's one of the things that comes out in the other two Gospel accounts. In Matthew and in Mark, we're told that they mocked, the two of them together mocked Jesus. But somewhere after that mocking, the second criminal like the first criminal, looks and sees Jesus. Note this, that both of them look and see Jesus. What does the one criminal say? In verse 39 of your text, 
Verse 39, the one criminal says to the other one, or I says, says to Jesus, he rails at him saying, are you not the Christ? Then save your... Now where does he get the idea that this guy hanging here is the Christ? You've got this guy hanging on the cross and this other guy hanging on the cross in excruciating pain, and yet somewhere along the lines he says, hey, if you're the Christ, get us down off of the cross. Why does he think he's the Christ? It's easy because he's seeing the testimony that is printed on the cross right over Jesus' head. This criminal, while he's in pain, hanging on the cross, he hears all of these other people reviling Jesus, tossing out these horrid things at Jesus. And he's sitting there thinking, why are they picking on this guy? And he reads and he says, here's the King of the Jews. And he says to himself, and he says to Jesus, he says, hey, if you're the King of the Jews, get us down from here. Both men see Jesus. Why do you know that? Because the other guy too says, hey, don't pick on Jesus like that. This is an innocent man. How does he know that Jesus is an innocent man? We don't know if they had interactions beforehand. We don't know if Jesus knew this criminal from somewhere down the path. What we do know is that while he's hanging on the cross, the second criminal as well is looking and reading that sign and saying, hey, this is an honest man. This is a man. And then he says to him, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Okay, now the second thief is suffering in agony, something that, that we know now could take up to two or three days for somebody to die. And so he's hanging on the cross, and he's suffering in agony, and he looks over and he sees Jesus hanging on the cross, who also is suffering in agony, and he says, hey, I want to ask you a favor. Okay, what kind of a guy asks somebody who's about to die for a favor? As you're being led away to the scaffold, somebody says, hey, I want to ask you a favor. You know, no, this guy asked Jesus a favor because he acknowledges that the kingdom is coming. You have a kingdom, and it is coming. So, what these guys have in common, they are both guilty. They are both suffering. They both look to Jesus, and they both ask to be saved. The criminal on the one side says, hey, now he's mocking when he says it, but he says, hey, if you're the Christ, save us. And the other guy says, hey, you're the Christ, save me. Both men call out to Jesus to save them. So if that's what's the same about the criminals, what's different? And I beg you to be careful here. Do not think in yourself that what's different between the two guys is that the one man somewhere down the line had this epiphany. Okay, he was actually a really good guy all of his life, but then he got into crime late, and now he's being punished. That somehow he clearly had this good moral life that he lived beforehand. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe after he got arrested and while he was in jail, he said, hey, i got to turn my life around, and he started serving other people, and he was a really good guy at heart. Or maybe it was when he got there on the cross, he says, oh, oh, I really do repent now of all my sins and everything is wrong about me and stuff like that. If you think like that, you're missing the point of the text. Because what's different between those two criminals? What's different is that the one guy says in mockery, hey, if you're the Christ, save yourself, oh, and us. Because he looks to Jesus 
And he looks to Jesus as a means to an end. What's the end? The end is me. Save me. Save this is what is life about? Life is all about me. And if there's no me, then there's no life. And what is Jesus? Jesus is a means to helping me live my life. And the other criminal says, don't talk to him like that. Jesus isn't a means for you to live your life. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You are the innocent one. We are judged correctly. You are being treated unfairly. The one man looks at life through the lens of me. Through the lens of, this is what I am about. And he sees Jesus in that light. The other man says, no, what's important here is Jesus and who He is. It might have taken the very last part of his life to finally get to that spot where he says, my life is not about me, my life is about Christ. But that is the two paths that present themselves to every one of us every single day. Every single day we have the opportunity to live life as though it's about me, or about my family, or about my job, or about my comfort, or about my satisfaction, or about my money, or about my... Or we have the opportunity to say, no, life is about Jesus Christ. Life is about Christ. I want you to notice then how Jesus responds to these two people. How does He respond to the first criminal? Okay, if you're looking in your text, you're looking all over the place, Jesus doesn't respond to the first criminal. Nowhere does Jesus say, hey buddy, you're a lot worse than I am. Nor does he say, hey listen, I'm doing this for you so that you might be saved. Or listen, pal, you don't understand the depths of what God is doing here through the world. You don't know what my death means. Jesus says nothing to that guy. Which picks up on a biblical theme that runs its way all the way through the Scriptures that often we miss that sometimes the punishment of God is simply to let us go the way we are going. Because if you live your life pursuing you, or your family, or your money, or your status, or your job, if you pursue your life pursuing anything other than Jesus Christ, it will lead you to death. And not once on the cross did Jesus turn and condemn that first criminal. He just said, That's where you're going? Go right ahead. Because sometimes that's exactly how God judges us. By allowing us to go down the very path of our own sinfulness. But to the other criminal, listen to what he says. Verse 43. In your your Scriptures, read it. Verse 43, Jesus says to him, Truly I say to you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Truly I say to you, this is simply biblical language. This is a way in which Jesus is saying, listen to the authority that I bring to these words. See, whenever we hear anything from anybody, somebody gives me a promise, I immediately factor in how trustworthy are they. Okay, If you read something on the internet, 
you immediately factor in how trustworthy are they. You're asking yourself that question all the time. Here is Jesus that stands boldly and out in front of everybody and says, truly I say to you, the power of Christ's words rests upon His authority and who He is. Can you imagine here a guy hanging, ready to die, saying, listen to me, I have the authority to make this claim. It's no wonder people ignored this promise. Not everybody came clamoring up to the cross saying, wait, promise me the same thing. Because here's a dead guy making dead guy promises. But Jesus, speaking with the authority of God Himself, truly I say to you, today, today, Picking up on another biblical theme that when God acts, God acts immediately for us. Sometimes it doesn't sound, feel like immediately to me. I wish sometimes God had acted quicker. But the scriptures pick up Matthew and uh, sorry, Mark and Luke in particular use that language a lot when they're talking about Jesus. Jesus acts quickly and immediately on our behalf. I'm so tempted all the time when I'm trying to get my point across to my kids. Well, let them wallow in their sin for a while. I'll jump in and save them eventually. God never does that with us. The minute we cry out, our Lord is there to save us. Today. And by the way, Jesus doesn't say, today, after you learn to have devotions, you will be with me in paradise. Today, after you act like a good Christian boy and serve your neighbors... I will be with you, you will be with me in paradise. Today, after you do your good deeds, today, after you prove yourself, today, after I see that you indeed mean what you're talking about, Jesus says none of that. The thief on the cross is a beautiful testament to us. Just like doubting Thomas, he serves a good role for us because any of us doubt always have Thomas in the background. And then Peter, anytime you talk too much, Peter's always a great example in the background of somebody that nevertheless is forgiven. Here you've got the thief on the cross, a wonderful picture for us of the overwhelming grace of God. What, does it that the, what is it that the thief does in order to merit God's paradise? Not a thing. And we know it because he died on that cross. Never got off. Never able to do anything. Didn't, God didn't say, hey, I'm going to give you four more years to see if you really mean this. If you live up to what you're... Nothing like that. Because salvation comes by God and God's grace alone. Today, you will be with me. For you in this room, today is the day of salvation. Meaning that God will immediately now jump and save you. Not once you've proven yourself to Him, but today. Today, you will be. That's the promise of God. This is Christ Himself saying, based on my authority, I give you this promise, you will be in paradise. Now, Scripture uses a couple different terms for heaven. One word is the normal word we would translate as heaven, one, and then paradise is another word, and has basically the same idea in it, uh, with maybe just this slight little twist. Paradise is that place, not just of God's abode, where God dwells, but it's the place where God dwells in all of His bounty, and in all of His beauty. And so here, 
Jesus is saying, today you will be present with God with all of His bounty and all of His beauty. But Jesus is responding here specifically to that second pathway. Not this first pathway that says, if the first criminal would have heard that, he would have said, today you will be with me in paradise! I get paradise! And that's what it's all about. It's all about me and what I can get out of it. But the second criminal doesn't hear it that way because the, the Greek text is emphatic. The Scripture is emphatic about where it says, with me. This passage reads really like this. Truly I say to you, today, with me, you will be in paradise. Because what's important to this man, the second criminal, life is not all about me and life is not all about this. Life is all about Jesus. And the second criminal hears that, and yes, he's going to get all the blessings of paradise and all that kind of stuff, but the great thing is, the message that is being communicated here is that he will be with Jesus. Those two paths separate and present themselves for every single person in this room. And some of you might be sitting thinking, well, I'm very glad that 1984, I gave my life to Jesus. I followed after that second criminal, not the first criminal. So this is a great sermon for all those people that haven't yet made that decision or are making one decision on one side. That decision faces every single person every single day. Today is the day where you once again have to face the question, am I pursuing a life of me, my family, my job? Am I pursuing a life that is anything other than a life that pursues Jesus Christ? If you are, you are acting exactly, if you're a Christian or not, you are acting, acting exactly like that first criminal. The second criminal charts out a path of a life that is committed purely to living every day with Christ. Pursuing Christ. Today you are faced with that choice. And you have to make that choice. And what does it mean to... If you don't know which choice you are making, ask somebody. How blessed would it be if you went up to somebody and said, Hey, who do you see me living my life for? And your spouse says to you, I see you living your life for Jesus Christ. Or your child, or your parents say, I see you living your life for Jesus Christ. How glorious would that be? And yet fear that day. Fear that moment where you say to somebody, hey, who do you see me living my life for? And they say, your wife, your job, your kids, your cars, your knickknacks, because that is the life that leads to death. Every single day, we are given the choice to choose life or to choose death. It's not just a one-time choice. For those of us who have the Spirit of the Holy God living within us, let us seek once again to be faithful to that calling to choose life, to follow after Christ now and forever. Let's pray together. Lord, we do ask for Your great blessing here upon us once more, that You would grant to us Your presence, that You would grant to us Your 
grace and blessing, for we desire to pursue after you and to follow after you. Lord, continue to pour into our lives the grace that we need that when we are confronted with that choice every day, that we choose the life that leads to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and in whose name we pray. Amen.